Welcome to the SBC History Podcast, the podcast that covers people, places, and events from the history of the Southern Baptist Convention. We tell stories about people you know and people you don't, shine light on the past so it can help guide us in the present. Now we say we do SBC history, but today we're taking a step outside of the SBC, but it's still Baptist, so everything's okay. With uh, And with a special guest today, uh, Ray Rhodes here to talk to us about his book. Uh, how are you doing, Ray? I'm doing good, Lane. Thank you for having me on your show. Good, good. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, well, uh, I am safe. I'm an SBC pastor, so that uh, that should help the broadcast. But I've been a pastor for uh, about 30 years. I live in Dawsonville, Georgia. I pastor Grace Community Church, which is an SBC church, and married to Lori. For 31 years, we have six daughters and uh, four grandchildren. So we've uh, we got a crew. Uh, all are in the vicinity of where we that's live. Great. So that's that's exciting. That's good. Have you done all your Christmas shopping for all them yet? I have not bought one Christmas gift. Uh, my wife has <laughs> my wife has bought a few things, but uh, I am slow this year. I've got to, uh, to get something for my wife. Maybe you'll give me a suggestion. Uh, I know a good podcast. That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> Send her to your podcast. That's right. <laughs> we uh, And so you wrote the book, uh, Susie, about Susanna Spurgeon, the wife of Charles Spurgeon. Uh, tell us about what led you to write this book. Yeah. Well, uh, I graduated from seminary the second time in 2016 from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. And while I was there, I uh, chose as my thesis topic the uh, spirituality of Charles and Susanna Spurgeon, uh, and primarily the role of Bible intake and prayer in their marriage. So that really introduced me to Susie uh, in a deeper way. I'd heard about her, mostly that she suffered and she did the book find, some general facts that a lot of Spurgeon people know. But I didn't know really anything else about her until that, uh, to my thesis study there at Southern. And afterwards, uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to do some writing. I wanted to write about Spurgeon and talking to folks in the publishing world. There was interest in a biography of Susanna. That led me into further study. And the more of uh, the layers I peeled back, the more fascinated I became with this woman. I was really astounded at how much she did, and much of it while she was sick, how much she loved the Lord, how uh, faithful she was to Christ, how much she loved her husband, and so much of that, as I said, was she was an invalid uh, through a lot of her right. married life. So there are countless biographies of Spurgeon. Are there many of his wives? They're not. Uh, there's only, uh, other than my biography, which just came out from Moody Publishers, they're the only other biography of Susanna Spurgeon was done in 1903, and it's the life of Mrs. C.H. Spurgeon by Charles Ray, and it's a good biography. It's very brief. It's more or less a summary of her life, primarily uh, her marriage to Spurgeon, which uh, if you read any Spurgeon biographies, the primary emphasis is always given. Really, the exclusive uh, focus on Susie has to do with her marriage to Charles, not really anything before, not a lot after. So she has really been, uh, believe it or not, though she was married to arguably the most famous post-New Testament preacher in history, she's received almost no attention from uh, authors and scholars. So I was thankful to be able to write about her, and the interest in her now is just 
really mind-boggling. I've been stunned at how well the book is doing and how excited people are to learn about her. Yeah, I uh, I was really fascinated by the book and the way you captured just some things about her. Like you said, most everything I've read about Spurgeon just kind of says that he was married and that's more as it. And But uh, she was just kind of two-dimensional, but you kind of bring her up to date and, and add some depth and and make her 3D, as it were, and help us to enable to see her. So it was really great and informative. Uh, why should those in the SBC, why should we care about the wife of someone like this? What kind of maybe effect did Spurgeon and his wife have or still have on even on the Southern Baptist Convention? Yeah, well, when Spurgeon was pastoring, he, he received a lot of interest from uh, folks in the Southern Baptist world. Uh, the primary interest that I've, I've uncovered was through professors and leaders at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, which he, uh, who he corresponded with. Of course, uh, in Southern Baptist life and in, in American life and Christian life in general during part of Spurgeon's ministry, especially during the Civil War period, he was not so appreciated in the South. Uh, because of his uh, anti-slavery stand, uh, but uh, that he was popular before that. He was popular again after that. He declined somewhat during the Civil War, but he was uh, respected uh, by Southern Baptists, and his life stands an example, and his marriage to Susie stands as an example of evangelism and missions, two things that uh, the Southern Baptist Convention has always uh, been uh, engaged in and focused on. And Spurgeon was an evangelist uh, in his preaching, in his witnessing, in his sending out pastors, in his planting of churches. And he supported, and Susie did, missions uh, as well. And uh, even after Spurgeon died, Susie continued that on by uh, getting books to missionaries and supporting them in various ways, corresponding with them. So the Spurgeons really are uh, about the gospel uh, you can't. It's hard to read anything by Charles or Susie without getting to Jesus really quickly and getting to the heart of the gospel. That's what they were focused on. So I think that legacy remains in Southern Baptist life, uh, as well as just uh, how a pastor and a wife can support one another in ministry. It's uh, it's very uh, as you probably know. It's almost impossible that for a pastor to serve if his wife is not a hundred percent in it with him uh and uh so they they just need to mutually support one another a lot of times a pastor may neglect his wife uh so focused on the ministry and so i think their life though they they're set in a different context and different circumstances there are many principles we can learn about their marriage that uh, would help us as pastors today as uh as spurgeon kind of stands out among preachers the prince of preachers he's called and all those things you think his wife stands out in that way too? I, I can't think of very many books I know about pastors' wives at all, not just Spurgeon, but any pastor's wives, the very few that come to mind. But do you think she stands out in that way also? I do. Uh, yeah, again, a lot of people are being introduced to her now. The the num- Probably the top comment I've received, uh, and I, I'm getting messages essentially every day from people all over the place 
about this book and the top comment I'm getting, I didn't, I didn't know anything about Susie Spurgeon. <laughs> so she's been in obscurity, but, but now that in God's grace and providence, she is coming to the light a bit. Uh, yes, uh, she is a model of uh, supporting her husband, supporting the ministry. Early in her marriage, she made a commitment to uh, be supportive and not to hinder Charles and his ministry, no matter what her personal uh, situation may be, if she was sick or suffering. Regardless, her desire was for him to be faithful in his ministry, and she gave all of her energy to supporting that. And she did so not by a sense of mere duty alone, but she wanted to support him. She loved him. She loved the right. ministry. She loved the gospel. And so she was on board 100%. doesn't mean she didn't struggle. She was lonely at times because Spurgeon was gone a lot. Uh, right. She missed him uh, early in their engagement or during their engagement at least. Uh, there was a time that she really uh, thought that maybe this wasn't going to work because Spurgeon was so laser-focused on the task at hand that he could be uh, forgetful of her. But her mother very wisely helped her in that regard. So, uh, yeah, Susie stands as an example to, to godly women. But, you know, this book is not just for women. It's a, it's a great book for men as well. And I think you do get to see the dynamics of a pastor's home, even yeah. though it's very different from most of our homes because uh, Spurgeon's right. gone so much and he's so prolific and he's managing 60 institutions connected to his church. He's writing uh you know, just uh, 135 books ultimately or so, plus the editing his sermons that are published in 63 volumes today. So he's a very busy man. He's gone a lot, but nevertheless, there are many principles we can pull from in marriage. Yeah. I don't know very many pastors that have sermons at home either, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's a, and that's an interesting dynamic too, because a lot of folks ask me, uh, you know, they say, Ray, you, you, you say that Spurgeon was a great husband, but how could he be a great husband if he's not at home? And he's not at home when his wife is sick. Well, two things. One, as I mentioned, Susie wanted him out in the ministry. And secondly, those servants really do play into this. And for Spurgeon, uh, the servants were uh, a little different than you might see in a, right. a television right. series like Downton Abbey. Uh, right. They were like family. Uh, Spurgeon yeah. loved them. They loved him. Uh, they treasured their time working for him. By the time he died, he probably had 10 servants at home. Again, these are not slaves. These are like household employees. And right. so they have gardeners, they have dressmakers, cooks, all sorts of folks. And these folks were friends. And one of them in particular was, a, was one of Susie's best friends and took on uh, part of her ministry after Susie died. So Susie was well cared for, even though Spurgeon was away. Now, she missed him, but he wrote her every day, and she wrote him back. And so they stayed in close communication when he was on the road and away from home. But he did make sure that she was cared for. Yeah. How do you balance telling her story without getting lost in, in his shadows? He casts such a large shadow over history even to this day. How do you make her stand out on her own? Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a great question. Uh, uh, for, uh, in fact, in, in one sense, Susie can't be seen apart from Charles, and nor right. would she want to be, because she, even after he died, I mean, she gave the rest of her years to promoting his legacy, getting his sermons distributed, translated books around the world. 
that was her singular focus, was honoring her husband's ministry and uh, because it was a gospel-centered ministry. But if you just look at her on her own, you would say, well, here's a woman that served God faithfully, doing all that she could while she could. For the first 10 years of marriage or so, maybe 12, she's active in church. She's helping and counseling baptismal candidates. Uh, after she is afflicted in 1868, uh, she serves God faithfully from home. And in 1875, she starts Mrs. Spurgeon's Book Fund, which ultimately will give away 200,000 books to poor pastors. That was a real burden of her heart, supporting pastors, their families, some of them uh, needing clothes and food and, and had, had not bought a new book in years. And so she knew the importance of a pastor having a great library and uh, wanted to support that. So she did that. Uh, after Spurgeon died, she authored five, uh, well, four. She authored one before he died and then four other books. So five total books that she authored. Uh, and then in 1897 uh, or six, she began uh, co-editing and contributing to the massive four-volume autobiography of Charles Spurgeon. So we have so much of Charles uh, because of her. And in the mid-1890s, she planted a church. She, she was the, the key person in leading a church plant. So she is a remarkable woman. And you got to remember, she's doing that while she's sick and she's a widow. So much of her work happened after he died, uh, though a lot of it happened before. She was very, very active after Charles died. What uh, what kind of can their marriage teach us about couples doing ministry together today? I think you could say in the same way many pastors' wife, but it's hard to think of them without thinking of the pastor. But uh, she still stood out on her own in her own ministry. What can we learn from them today? Yeah, well, I think we, we can learn that uh, through hard times to persevere, because both of them, you know, Charles, I'm 57 years old. Charles died at 57. Uh, right. Susie lived to 71. Uh, he died in 1892. She lived till 1903. So she lived, what, 11 years uh, after he died. Uh, but both of them were sick, uh, yeah. increasingly so for Charles. Until he died, he had gout. He had kidney disease. Uh, he suffered with depression. Depression. He was overweight, uh, all of that. And then she suffered with some sort of female uh, issue that kept her mostly homebound uh, after 1868. But they persevered through hard times. They didn't uh, see themselves as victims. They saw all of this in the providence of God. So perseverance, a, a robust theology that sees God's hand in all things, working all things out for His glory and the good of His people. They both shared a very robust theology uh, and were very Christ-centered uh, in that. Uh, they supported one another. She read to him uh, when he was depressed. Uh, sometimes she would weep with him. Charles was known for weeping at times, and right. he couldn't explain it. Uh, but she would weep with him. She sat with him in his study as he worked on his sermons. Uh, she assisted him, and he assisted her. He made sure that she had what she needed in the home that uh, would help her in, during her times of affliction. But he also delighted in just surprising her with delightful gifts. And as I said, he wrote to her every day. So communication, 
I think that's one of the missing ingredients in many pastors' homes is just communication, mm-hmm. communicating effectively. Uh, I know for me, uh, when I'm at church on a Sunday, for example, I'm talking to a lot of people, and you know, one moment you're you're laughing it up with someone, and the next moment uh, you're hearing some sad story, and and you're just communicating with people all day long, and it's easy to come home and right. really not have anything else to say. But they really worked on that, and I think letter writing. Uh, was the key. Uh, they talked together. They sat together at home, but when they're away writing those letters, I, I tend to think that I wonder if we might not be a little bit better off if instead of email and text, which tend to lend themselves to quick thoughts, right. if we would be uh, wise to take up the pen and paper and and write letters to our spouse, right. uh, not only when we're away, but sometimes even at home, leaving notes and whatnot behind. So they, they're lessened in communication as well. I think that's a good thing. I'm a big fan of letter writing. I think everybody likes to get a letter in the mail still today, as long as it's not a, a bill or something. But uh, Yeah, when's the last time you got a personal letter in the mail? <laughs> right. I mean, not very often, yeah, for sure. That's right. I don't know if anybody will be reading ours in 150 years, but... Uh, it's uh, it's it's a good reminder that just to sit down and take time, writing a letter takes intentionality. And that That's kind right. of shows their writing to each other, shows they were intentional about staying in contact with each other. And and back then, of course, it was a lot more difficult to get mail across. You couldn't travel by plane or anything like that when Spurgeon traveled like he did. So That's right. Uh, tell me, I was really interested in the early beginning of her life and as she came to know Spurgeon and and those things. Did you get the idea that she knew what she was getting into when she married him? It'd be impossible to know everything, of course, but by the time they started uh, dating, so to speak, he was already well-established as a minister. Is that correct? Yeah, he uh, he became the pastor of the officially, formally, the pastor of the New Park Street Chapel. Later, it would be called the Metropolitan Tabernacle. It would move, but he became the pastor formally in April of 1854, and they were engaged in August of 1854. Uh, but she really, uh, even though he was already growing in popularity by that time, and the church was filling up to capacity, she still didn't really understand what it was going to mean to be married to Charles Spurgeon. And no one could have guessed uh, the sort of worldwide fame that would follow this man. Um, And, you know, he was uh, blow-by-blow accounts of Spurgeon's life in newspapers, both in England and in America, really from early in his ministry until uh, well after he died. And they can... Tabloids kind of thing. Well, just the just the regular newspapers too. Yeah, some of that, some of the caricatures that would happen in England, in some of their papers. But uh, I mean, here in Georgia, uh, one of our big papers was the Atlanta Constitution, and and uh, there's stories about Spurgeon uh, here uh, after his death about Susie keeping up with her health. So they were just uh, people were fascinated by the Spurgeons. They were almost like royalty, you know, sort of the way people today want to know what's happening with the the Queen of England and the princess and the print, you know, all, all the stories that, that we see in just our regular newspapers, they had that sort of attention around the world. So she could never have imagined that her husband would, would write all the books that he wrote, would, would pastor uh, a mega church, would, would, uh, his sermons would be distributed around the world. 
So that yeah. caused some early challenges, as I mentioned, that her mother helped her through because yeah. her mother could had a bit more foresight. She could see what was happening. As the, I mean, it, by the time he mother. gets married, there's not a building anywhere that can hold the crowds that want to hear Spurgeon preach. Uh, he could he could preach in the outdoors and it'd be many thousands. He preached in the largest buildings. It would be packed to capacity and people standing outside. So his fame happened really rapidly. The local papers mocked him and said he was sort of like a shooting star. He would he would uh, he would go up and come down in a hurry, but that didn't happen. He he maintained his popularity really throughout his ministry. Well, you know as as well as I do, serving as pastors, you've seen lots of people face suffering and hardship, tragedy, it often drives them apart. But for the Spurgeons, it seemed to drive them together. You can't talk about them without talking about their suffering. And How did this kind of change their ministry and make a difference in their lives? Yeah, it certainly, it certainly changed the dynamic of their marriage and the fact that for the first uh, 10 or 12 years, Susie traveled with him a lot, even though they had right. twins the first year of their marriage. Uh, she still was able to travel with him a lot and be involved in the church. And, and so after, after 1868, I looked at the church records and was able to see her attendance. And, yeah. how to, and really beginning in 1867, her attendance drops off. And by 1868, she rarely ever goes to church again, which can you imagine uh, how difficult that was for her? Because she loved to be at church. She loved to hear him preach and worship with the people and serve. Uh, it had to be difficult for her to be suddenly taken away, not only from traveling with him, but also taken away from her church. And for me as a pastor, uh, I'm comforted by the fact that my wife is sitting out there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, sure. uh, you know, my church is much smaller than Spurgeon's, but still, it's right. a comforting to see my wife sitting on that second row where the pastor's wife's supposed to sit. You know, it's in the Baptist right. bylaws somewhere. <laughs> right, right. But uh, for him not to have her there anymore, uh, I can imagine that was very challenging for him. And then he wrote later in life uh, his great book, and it's really one of my favorites, The Checkbook of Faith, where he talks about the burdens that he is facing. He's in the middle of battling the downgrade controversy where he is defending the authority of Scripture and he's losing friends. Uh, His relationships are breaking over this. And he's, he's deeply burdened, but he also writes about the burden that he feels because one is dear as life to him back at home. And he's a thousand miles away from her recovering himself. And he writes about one dear as uh, life to him back at home suffering so much. So he felt the double burden, really, really the triple burden, his own physical health. Secondly, that the burden of ministry uh, and the loss of men that he had trained in the ministry, some of them did not stand with him. They departed from Spurgeon yeah. during the downgrade controversy, which just broke his heart. He took that. He was thinking about that the last period of his very, of his life, even still broken. And then thirdly, a wife a thousand miles away that needed him at home, and he's he's sick himself and right. in warmer climate, trying to get trying to recover. So that was very difficult, even though they had the letters and all the other things. There's not, no trade-off for having your spouse near at hand. So it affected them in numerous ways. But like you said, it drew them to Jesus because uh, they had no, I mean, they were without ability to heal themselves. They uh, had to cast themselves wholly upon Christ, and they did that. And when one of their big uh, supporters withdrew his financial support from them, 
Susie got the information first, and this is again late in life during the downgrade controversy as sides are being taken. Uh, Susie laughed when she got the letter, and then she wrote to Charles and told him that she laughed, and he said, I laugh with you. That may sound a bit strange to lose a significant chunk of financial support, but the reason that both of them laughed is because both of them trusted that God would provide for them. Yeah. And so they looked to Christ, they, they, they looked to each other for comfort, and they just trusted the Lord. They learned that God was trustworthy. And that, that book by Spurgeon, The Checkbook of Faith, is all about that, just clinging to the promises of God when life hurts. And life hurt for them a lot. That's great. That's great that they came together. And, and after his death, she continued with the book fund and, and the ministry. What's the estimate on how many books she sent out through that fund? Yeah, I think it was two hundred, around two hundred thousand, one hundred ninety-nine thousand five hundred and fifty-eight, or something like that. But uh, right. around two hundred thousand books, and then uh, that continued. Uh, even that she died in October of uh, eighteen of nineteen o three, and her assistant Elizabeth Thorne, one of the household servants, continued that book fund for a number of years after that. And then it's difficult to sort of lose track of what happened to it. But there, there have been throughout history since then of uh, people who have modeled ministry after her example. And there's a, there's a modern example. If you go to the Banner of Truth website, Banner of Truth is a publisher of Christian books and other things, they have a book fund and they write in on their website that this is modeled after Mrs. Spurgeon's book fund. So they are still trying to help poor pastors and others do that too. That's great. I know that publish quite a few Spurgeon works and other things, I think. So they do. They do. I know that I've, I've read that there's still some books floating around out there that have her inscription in them. Is that correct? That uh, uh, they can be found and, and purchased if you have enough money, I think. But because uh, she inscribed many of the books she sent out. Is that correct? That's right. I, I've not been able to get one. I would love to get a copy of a, a book that she inscribed. I do have some very old editions of Spurgeon books, and I have uh, one very old edition of her first book on the book fund. She wrote two books about the book fund, and this one's the uh, 10 Years of My Life in the Service of the Book Fund, which is really the closest thing that we, we have to an autobiography of Susie as well yeah. as she's giving an account of the book fund. But, yeah, they, I hear that people find those. And, of course, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention is blessed at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary because we yes. have there uh, the Spurgeon Library and 6,000 of uh, Spurgeon's books, his personal books from his library, are there. And there are many inscriptions in those books uh that's where Spurgeon had made notes or authors had sent Spurgeon a book and they'd written him a note. And I think Midwestern is going through that and recording every inscription in those books. And they're even doing some publishing, some booklets, I think, from yeah. certain selections in yeah. his library. I was glad I was I was up there last week, was able to take my wife and show her the library for the first time so I could say I don't have that many books. See, So I'm not as bad as that. So. So you've been to the library, you said? Yes, yes, it's great. I've been many times, and it's a, a win. I've been to Midwestern for events, and it's a great, mm -hmm. uh, it's a great asset. And the way they have those things displayed are great. I encourage anyone who's able to go by there, if you're even in the region at all, just to go by there and, and see. Yes, it. 
it's beautiful for scholars, for scholars and others it's a great resource as well so yeah uh, i was blessed to be able to study there that's some myself yeah and so uh, uh the book is is uh out and it can be had in all major retailers is that correct through moody publishers that's right. You can get it through Moody. You can get it uh, through any book, pretty much any bookstore. Uh, Lifeway uh, has been keeping it at a great price uh, as well. And and then you can just go to SusieSpurgeon.com, SusieSpurgeon.com, and we have a list of bookstores there, or it can be purchased directly through that website. Okay, great. I'd encourage everyone to give it as a Christmas gift. I know pastors do lots of reading, theology, and other things, but I think it's important to read biographies lots of biographies and uh, things historical ones especially that just kind of give you a glimpse outside of your own world and make you think and and uh your book on Susanna Spurgeon does a great job of that uh as we you, as, as you spend lots of time digging in the past it can kind of uh, uh make you think a certain way but as you look for it since this is the SBC history podcast I always ask we talk about the past of the SBC Tell me about what you're excited for the future of the SBC and maybe what uh, this book has taught you, even about our own convention. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I'm a two-time graduate of uh, Southern Seminaries, Southern Baptist Seminaries. In 1988, I graduated from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And in 2016, from the, I always have to emphasize that, that Dr. Moeller requires right. it, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. <laughs> right. And uh, and I've benefited from the uh, from Midwestern. Uh, they've been very kind to let me study in the Spurgeon Library and, and actually use the books there as well. And so I'm thankful for what Jason Allen is doing up there. Uh, it's been really good. I think we'd say that all of our six Southern Baptist seminaries are conservative. And yeah. theology uh, hold to the inerrancy of Scripture. Uh, there are different theological flavors in our seminaries. Uh, some right. are more similar than others in that, in sort of various strands of theology. But all are conservative. All are excited about the gospel and missions, evangelism and missions. What Southern Baptists have always been excited about. And so I think we have a lot of reason to be excited. Uh, and and when I look at our seminaries, I think that's. For me, that's one of the areas I'm most excited about. I love uh, seminary. I, I'm a brick and mortar kind of guy. I'm right. old school. Uh, I, I appreciate the fact that folks can access our seminaries online and do many studies there. But I, I do like physical things. I like the brick and mortar education. I like physical books. I like physical music. Right. <laughs> so I'm really, I'm really old school. Uh, my kids uh, think. But uh, I'm, I'm really excited about the future uh, in that regard. Uh, you know, there's, there's been really uh, major uh, changes in the last couple of years, or last several years in the convention. So we don't know a lot of how that's going to, how that's going to uh, sort of fan out. But you know, every every uh, denomination and Southern Baptist throughout its history, we go through seasons of change, and there's sort of a passing of of uh, the old and the, the coming of the new. And that's something we've wanted. I know I can remember years ago reading. And some of our state papers, how the some of the older leaders were training up younger leaders, knowing that us old guys, uh, we're going to pass off the scene, and and we want someone to be able to take that baton and carry it forward. So I'm I'm excited to see that uh, energy and and younger men in the ministry, and and I think that's uh, gives us reason to be hopeful. That's good, and I think when we uh, uh, 
when you get new leaders on the scene, I think it's especially important then to be grounded in history, reminded of the lessons that our past teaches us, our own history and the history of others like uh, Spurgeon and uh, Susie Spurgeon as well. So, Ray, thank you for your time and for coming on here to talk with me about it. Uh, we'll have links in the notes and the show notes to the books and uh, the book and everywhere else you, you can get it. So make sure and check check that out. And uh, and uh, you can get a hold of Ray through the website if you want to and find him on Facebook and other places if you just love to talk. I know uh, he's got lots more to say about Susie Spurgeon, I'm sure. So. Well, thank you, brother. It was, it was a delight to be on your show. I'm excited to hear about your work and preserving our history and keeping it out in front of folks. Well, thanks. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have a small part in doing this. And uh, thanks for listening to the SBC History Podcast. And we'll see you next time. Right? Thank you.